Talk Radio Show brought to you by People G2, a company dedicated to helping all businesses with their people-related decisions. They do that by giving clients access to the best human capital, due diligence and background checks available on prospective candidates, business partners, tenants, and more. To learn more, simply visit www.peopleg2.com. Today, we're privileged to have with us the founder and president of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, Chris. Good afternoon, and thanks for joining me again here uh, on Tuesday in the uh, ever-changing and seemingly catastrophic weather of Southern California lately. It's either hot, flooding, hot again. But anyways, we're, we're, we're enjoying at least some rain, even if it evaporates five minutes later. So again, my name is Chris Dyer, and I'll be your host here for the next hour on the Town Talk Radio Show. Have a really good lineup today uh, of guests, and we really have a, even maybe more superb, if you look at it as a whole, of, of all the great people we have coming up throughout the year. So we hope you'll keep coming back and joining us uh, and hearing all the, the guests we have planned out through the year. In case this is the first time you're tuning in, we want to kind of give you a little hint on how this works. Basically, I bring on these fantastic guests who want to talk about talent management and leadership development, and I always make sure they talk about company culture because I really enjoy that part of it. And we look at talent in kind of two different ways. First, you know, how it relates to success, uh, how, how really talented people, you know, what are their secrets, what is it they're doing to be successful, and what can we learn from them. And the second is how HR leaders find the best candidates uh, for their companies, and usually we're kind of grafting off some of their talents as well. So we really like to explore those two areas, along with how the talented individuals that you bring into your company can really impact your overall company's culture. The guests... I typically have on the show can be CEOs, HR execs, entrepreneurs, coaches, authors, just, you know, fantastic people with something great to say from just about any industry you can think about. So I usually will meet these people at networking events or conferences or through LinkedIn or however we get connected. And I have the the privilege of meeting them and being inspired by them. And so I wanted to make sure we had them on another forum where you could interact with them and hear what they have to say, ask them questions even if uh, you want to pop on Twitter to do that, and hopefully learn something to you know, help you cultivate talent in your own company, maybe develop some better leaders, and of course manage your culture. So, And through all of that, maybe you'll get a little tidbit here today that will impact your own career in a positive way, and we hope that will happen. I want to thank those of you who are tuning in live here every Tuesday. If you have a question for one of the guests, please submit them via Twitter uh, by tweeting them to at PeopleG2. Use the hashtag Talent Talk. If you're listening to this in after the show's aired and maybe through iHeartRadio app or the podcast app, you could even uh, tweet the guests. I'm sure if you could find their, them on there and ask them a question after the fact, they'd probably be happy to answer it. Uh, we love all that interaction, but do us a favor and use that hashtag Talent Talk so we can keep track of that great conversation that's happening. Don't forget, though, as I mentioned, you can listen to the podcast, which uh, through iTunes, we have over 190,000 people subscribed to that. You can also open up that iHeartRadio app. Uh, We're now syndicated with them, and you can listen to past shows. Not all of them are there yet. We're working on that, Um, but a lot of the good ones are there, and we're slowly kind of getting everything uh, uploaded into their system, and uh, pretty soon you'll be able to get everything there as well. But let's go ahead and get today's show started now. we got all the business out of the way. My guests today are Joseph Fung. He's the Vice President of HCM Products at NetSuite. And we also have in uh, on the second part of the show, Rosalind uh, Cohen-Baruch. Uh, Hopefully I've gotten that right here this, this time. Uh, the Vice President and Director of Human Capital at Hall Capital Partners, LLC. Rosalind will join me the second half of the show, but... 
Let's go ahead and get started with my first guest. Uh, Joseph, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Chris. Well, glad to be here. Oh, glad to have you. So tell us all a little bit about yourself uh, and, of course, about your company that you're working for now, NetSuite. Yeah, sure. So um, I was the CEO of uh, Tribe HR, one of the founders, uh, you know, multi-time startup founder. This would be my, you know, fourth startup. And, um, you know, we were we were acquired by NetSuite a little over 18 months ago. Uh, and now I report into the founder uh, and chair, uh, Evan Goldberg, where I lead up all of the HTM strategies. Um, so my background is a little bit more on the, the technical side and business growth side, and now I'm solidly uh, inside the product organization at NetSuite. So HTM strategies, maybe you can explain that a little bit for anyone that doesn't quite understand what that means. Sure. So I'm responsible for all of our human capital management, all of our HCM products. So mm-hmm. that includes, of course, the Tribe HR product, uh, you know, the company that I ran pre-acquisition. Uh, but that also includes uh, Nestle had an existing payroll product, so that's part of my portfolio now, uh, new products that we're building, uh, and any of our HR technology partnerships. We're partnered with you know, over 40 different vendors, ranging everything from uh, global payroll solutions to background screening solutions. Uh, and so all of that folds under my portfolio and make sure that it all works together, as well as uh, building up a team, high-growth technology team. Uh, it's all part of my responsibility right now. Well, it sounds like you have a lot on your plate. Um, and one of the things I'm kind of specifically interested in is, you know, you, you, as you said, you acquired uh, your company, Tribe HR, was acquired by NetSuite. So you go from being CEO of your company, and now you're you know, the VP of, of HCM products within a larger organization uh, and still trying to lead those things along with, you know, kind of the new things. So you know, can you talk a little bit about that transition and kind of how that, you know, how it's different or how it's going, or how it's better, or how it's worse? And you know, there's kind of just some of those interesting maybe tidbits in, in comparing the two roles. Sure. It's, it's been a really interesting ride because I've got a, a bit of an, uh, a two-tone responsibility right now. I mean, the first you know, responsibility for all the HCM products is very, very similar to what I was doing before. I mean, running um, you know, the overall business strategy from product execution to sales and customer engagement. Uh, but my second responsibility is actually growing our R&D operations here in our Canadian Waterloo office. Uh, because we're building our HCM products here, but we're also building out teams for other groups here. Uh, and so they're working on other products. And, and so although it's not solid line reporting relationships, I'm responsible for making sure that those teams you know, grow, find the right talent, are really engaged. And our office is experiencing exceptional growth. In the last 12 months, we've grown by almost uh, threefold. Uh, so that's a, a really fun, fun, interesting challenge. Um, from a, You'd ask a little bit what that transition was like. And for the most part, it's been very, very smooth. Um, the benefit of reporting to the founder of the company is that it's, you know, it's actually a lot easier reporting to another founder than it is reporting directly to a board. So to a certain extent, it feels like a lot of stress has been taken off my shoulders. Uh, but on the other side, it's a much larger firm. And uh, you know, our office here, we had to grow up very quickly. We had to add uh, additional process, tweak processes, uh, deal with many uh, international offices, uh, we were split between two locations pre-acquisition. Uh, NetSuite now has 24 different offices, so we're collaborating with the Philippines, with New York, with uh, Brno, with Barcelona. Uh, it's been a really fascinating ride. Uh, I think the, the single biggest learning for our team has been you know, really rapidly you know, learning how it is to work with people cross time zone, cross cultures, mm-hmm. uh, really effectively. And that's been, that's been a really fun journey for everyone here. Yeah, and some of those challenges can be pr- pretty uh, substantial. And if you can find ways to overcome them and still be successful, ensure that your your culture overall is is still uh, 
living and breathing despite those differences and the growth that just that in itself you're talking about threefold just in that one office that can have a huge impact on on what you're doing but uh, maybe you could share a little bit about you know what by hr is and what you're doing maybe to kind of push some of those boundaries you know the traditional hr utilize you know utilizing social media and other things that you guys do Sure. I think I think that's one of the things that's you know enabled us to grow as quickly as we have. Um, when we first envisioned, when we first imagined the Tribe HR product. You know, the real objective was how do we how do we help managers be better managers, and how do we help employees be better employees? You know, yes, we we want to help out you know the HR professional work more efficiently, work more effectively. Um, but our our favorite uh, users and users that uh, you know, often see the biggest change are frontline managers and then employees, um, because we really see. HR is everyone's responsibility. You know, no no manager wakes up in the morning and thinks to themselves, "Hey, how am I going to screw over my team members this day?" Right. Uh, they do often accidentally, and so we spend a lot of time, um, you know, powering building tools for frontline managers. And for us, um, you know, that's been the biggest boon. So we build a lot of social tools. We really rethink HR processes and try to put more power in the hands of managers and employees to collaborate and streamline those. And that's been a crucial, you know, crucial tool in, in our tool chest as we grow our office uh, because we need to onboard managers really quickly and we need to get them effective and champions of the culture right from day one. Uh, and so the social tools that we build, things like recognition, um, social comments and threading and replies around you know, more mundane tasks, um, you know, like time off management, job requisition management, all of those make an HR system you know, more friendly, more enjoyable. And, and if you have a tool that people enjoy using, um, they use it more effectively and, and they get their jobs done better. Right, right. Well, you know, I think if you know, if someone were to kind of look at your background or, you know, be uh, checking you out on, uh, on LinkedIn or, or wherever, they, they might, you know, kind of the conclusion you could be considered a serial entrepreneur, you know, having kind of co-founded a few companies, which is an interesting storyline considering you're working for a larger organization now. But um, can you maybe talk about what, what drives you from an entrepreneurial standpoint? Oh, no, absolutely. And I think I think the reason why I'm, uh, you know, working with a larger company and still driving on this is that it, you know, all resonates very much with what got me started, and that's around, you know, building a better and more exciting organization. Um, every company that, that I've run, um, you know, they've all been in the business software space, but I think the, the really unifying thread is that a lot of it was around building a really, really great place to work. Uh, I mean, the first company that we launched, the first policy that I wrote down was that more fun equals more good, and we had that up on the wall for so long. Um, when I was a co-op student, uh, the local university has an interesting program where you spend four, time, four months working, four months studying, four months working, you alternate back and forth. Um, during one of my work terms, I worked with a really large uh, international uh, defense contractor, and at the time they got a new president, uh, and the new president was visiting the office. Uh, and what stuck with me was that everyone was scared about this. You know, they were worried, is he visiting the office because there going to be changes? Are we going to be downsizing? What does this mean for us? And it struck me that, you know, if you've got an environment, we have this exciting new change, a brand new leader, and everyone's terrified. Um, you know, that, 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 there's something that could be done better there. I think that desire to really build an incredible organization is what's, you know, been the common thread through all of my activities, and it's all the reasons why I'm enjoying, you know, leading this organization inside of a larger organization. Um, NetSuite has a really remarkable culture, and you know, watching, watching Evan and Zach uh, as they they lead the company from a broader level, and just seeing the conversations that we have, they're the exact same conversations, the same jokes. You know, when you're doing budgets, there's a couple of extra zeros, but it's a lot of fun. It's the same thing. Right, right. Well, do you think there's some you know 
greater or different challenges with being an entrepreneur into this technology-based markets than there are maybe in, in other markets that you might enter? Um, you know, it's funny. It's easy to think wherever you are, you've got the biggest problems, you're tackling the biggest things. But um, although I think some of the challenges faced by high-tech software, in particular businesses, um, you know, are big, you know, the reality is we're really fortunate. You know, I, I see some of my colleagues that are working on hardware startups. Um, you know, one of my friends is running a robotics startup in town. Uh, and some of the stuff they're building is just limited by the laws of physics. Um, we distribute software. You know, the, the import-export regulations around that you know, are easier to manage. You know, the, you know, really the one big challenge is you know, tax management. From a strategic perspective, really our biggest problems are all around people management. And, you know, we're really fortunate that those are our biggest problems. You know, how do you attract, how do you get the most out of uh, your team members? How do you help them realize their potential? You know, you're, we're really fortunate that those are the challenges that we have to face. Um, so, yeah, they're big ones. You know, NetSuite's growing 30% year over year. So these are, are not trivial problems, um, but uh, I think they're, they're nicer problems to have uh, than, than teams might have in other sectors. And do you think that some of that uh, success that you've had, you know, goes back to this, uh, I know, sort of commitment you have to corporate citizenship? And maybe you can talk about what that is and, and how that plays into what you do. No, absolutely. Um, and when we, I mean, Tribe HR uh, was founded in Canada, uh, and we knew when we wanted to go down to um, you know, more international markets, south of the border, internationally, we needed to have uh, you know, a headquarters that was uh, you know, down in the States, and we spent a lot of time looking for the right location and the right leadership there. It's really uh, funny, first of all, to hear you say south of the border as a Canadian, because south of the border to us <laughs> is Mexico. So, okay, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> so, we, we really wanted to find the right leadership, and so we spent a lot of time down in, in California, uh, time in New York, time in Boston, and it was really interesting. One of the reasons why we chose Boston at the time was the really strong cultural fit. The things like when I chatted with other entrepreneurs or other executives, and I say, hey, you know, what do you do in your spare time? What organizations do you support? I hear the same things that I hear here, you know, in Ontario, in Canada. You know, maybe uh, I volunteer at my kids' school. My my wife and I go to the symphony or donors of the symphony. You know, we really value uh, the local concert hall or the art gallery, so we donate there. You know, a strong sense of civic responsibility. you know, in, in other areas, sometimes it wasn't so much. You know, you hear comments about, oh, we're in California, a lot of our colleagues are working on startups, so they're doing things there. In New York, you know, people were traveling a lot. For us, we found that sense of, you know, social responsibility, both for the individual as well as the company, really, really crucial. Um, when you run a bricks and mortar shop, uh, you know, small business in particular, your community is your customer base. Uh, when you run a software company, you know, a high tech company, your customers are everywhere. And so from day one, it's really easy to forget that your local community is really important, but it's the place that your employees live, and it's the place that your employees are raising their families, and so we, we all have a really strong responsibility to, to take care and give back. So personally, you know, I try to make sure that I'm volunteering a lot of my time. Uh, I try to make sure that you know, I'm giving not just of my time, but also of my money. Um, and likewise, you know, as a business leader, that we're doing the same thing. So, for example, we give all of our employees paid time off to volunteer. Uh, we donate a lot of our software. Uh, we allow our employees to donate time, regardless of what job function they're in, to help implement or support or customize software for our not-for-profit customers. Uh, and then we give them our own time and money. You know, a great example, um, the local symphony, incredibly innovative symphony. Actually, the, the music director of our local symphony is also the music director for the San Francisco Symphony Orchestra. He splits his time between both cities. 
Um, they wanted to run a hackathon. You know, how do you hack the idea of a symphony orchestra? Um, so not only do we sponsor it, but we volunteered a bunch of mentorship, the leadership, and coaching time, uh, and we had some incredible results where, you know, they were taking music that was being produced by the musicians in a real time, creating interesting visualizations and light shows um, and games. Uh, it was a really, really fun experience. Um, the result is we had a healthier community, and our employees, you know, not only enjoy living here more, but they stick around longer, and they have a better opportunity to build a relationship with their colleagues and the company outside of regular work hours. Uh, and so, I mean, it's a, it's a great win for the company, it's a great win for the employees, and it's a great win for the community. Yeah, it sounds like uh, some really great stuff. And I, the, the, Those are the kinds of experiences or things that I see with, with those entrepreneurs or companies of, of which that I admire or that I we try to associate ourselves with to have that kind of civic responsibility like you're talking about, being involved in the community, and whether it's something as sophisticated as what you're talking about or just something as simple as just giving your time to whatever charity or cause is sort of important to you, that's it's just so important. You know, there was one thing that I was, uh, you know, we kind of talked about culture here a couple of times, and I wanted to make sure we, I asked you about. I imagine that you have a particular culture, you know, when you were just Tribe HR and you were running it. And now NetSuite has its own culture. And for, for as close as they may be, or maybe they weren't, just a little curious on how you guys have had to kind of change or maybe evolve to kind of make those two things work together. Uh, or maybe there's some other storyline there that you might explain. You know, how, how did that kind of go when your your staff is used to kind of operating one way with one theme and now there's a kind of a new, you know, new set of things kind of pulling or pushing them as well? I think we're really lucky in that the broad brushstrokes uh, of the cultures were quite similar. Um, you know, when we were going through the, the diligence process and, you know, getting to know NetSuite better, uh, in many regards, uh, you know, myself, a lot of our colleagues, you know, we said NetSuite in many ways is the type of company we'd grow up to be, um, just, you know, by virtue of things they already espouse and already do. Um, so we started with a, a really good fit. Uh, I think that's one of the things that's made the acquisition so successful. Um, you often see M&A activities, mergers and acquisitions, where, um, you know, that fit isn't always there. So we, we started from a good space, which has been fortunate. But you're right, there there have been some changes. Um, some of them have been, you know, a lot smaller and, and more subtle. Um, we have a lot, a lot of international offices, and so we get a lot of international travel. Uh, and sometimes it's just, you know, silly things like, you know, a lot of NetSuite employees are, are much more used to international travel than a lot of our employees were. You know, so we had a lot of, you know, silly learning experiences around things like, you know, make sure your passport's up to date if you're going to travel internationally. Um, you know, making sure that you're bringing the right kind of currency. Um, so some of those were, were really good learning uh, lessons. Um, but I think the bigger differences are really more around just scope of offering. Um, you know, NetSuite deals with financial data all around the world. So because of that, uh, we have to be really, really rigorous with uh, compliance challenges, um, with tracking, with legislation. You know, TriHR's customer-based pre-acquisition was predominantly in North America. Um, so the scope and the level of, of effort uh, around compliance-related issues um, and international customer support um, was a little bit different. So, you know, we need to be a little bit more diligent with that now um, just because of the scope and, and size of our customers. Um, and then I think the, the other big difference is, you know, we've needed to do a better job of espousing bravery. I mean, it's not that anyone wanted to change the culture. Um, one of the reasons we were acquired is, you know, the great respect that Evan and his team had for what we built here, and we wanted to share that with the rest of NetSuite. But when you're running a small startup, you know, you're still raising money, you know, you're still growing a company, um, 
you know, what you're doing is inherently brave. There's a lot of risk there, you know, for your job, for your team, for the industry. Uh, and so by virtue of working in a startup, you're being really brave. When you work in a much larger company, publicly traded company, you know, NetSuite, um, you know, the last 12 months did just shy of $600 million of revenue. You know, it's a lot easier to feel that you're in this kind of safe bubble and, you, you know, you're protected by things, certainly. Um, so I think the one big change that we've had to do is, you know, do a really good job of reminding people to be brave. You know, if you see a change that needs to be done to help customers, do it. If you see a change that's going to be the right thing for employees uh, and it makes sense, do it. You, know, you don't always need to you know, ask for umpteen levels of approval. Yeah, there's a lot of people in the company, um, but we hire smart people and we trust them You know, do the right thing. So I think the one big change is we do, a, I think, a better job now of really reminding people that it's right to be brave. And we really have to do that because we're growing so quickly. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, we grew, you know, threefold over the last 12 months. That means, you know, a good two-thirds of our office have been here less than a year. They're naturally trepidatious. Um, so it's been imperative for us that we, we remind people it's, it's okay to take risks. Do smart ones, take intelligent risks, uh, but it's okay to do that. So is that a part of the equation that helps those people, you know, start to feel comfortable enough to grow into, you know, larger roles for themselves, to become leaders of, of a group or a team or a project? Because I can imagine with that kind of rapid growth, you could get a lot of people that might feel paralyzed, they might feel fearful, they might just want to keep their head down for a, for a while until things maybe kind of settle a bit more and they can understand the you know the politics or the, the lay of the land. But really, what you need is people just to to be leaders and to be you know kind of grabbing the bull by the horns, for lack of a better saying. Um, as things are kind of going so 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 rapidly, so how, how do you how do you encourage that? And make sure that people are doing that. No, it's absolutely the right phrase. I mean, you you, you can't ask someone to improve and and grow and take on leadership responsibilities if you don't give them the opportunity to do so. Um, so we're really clear with new hires. We give them both a lot of opportunity, uh, but we also give them a lot of you know expectations. Uh, we set the bar pretty high, um, and we do that both at a high level with cultural statements. You know, every every monthly all-hands meeting that we do, you know, we, we share examples of our values. I start off every meeting with kudos that come out of our, our system, you know, highlight key activities or contributions that people have done um, that really espouse our values, um, those little things. Um, you know, right down to, to tactics from the individual. You know, if someone joins us, one of their responsibilities uh, in their first month is to do something to improve the onboarding process. Um, so, yeah, they need to set themselves three-month objectives, but one of them has to be improve the onboarding process for the next people. You know, we're really clear with everyone who joins that, you know, within a quarter, they're, they're going to have new colleagues, and that means you need to be the old hand. You need to be the mentor for the next person who's coming on board. Uh, and when those expectations are clear, you know, you don't feel... You know, that you can take it easy, ease your way into the first six months. You really do feel compelled to become an expert as fast as you can. And anything that prevents you from being an expert, when the expectation is to, to help improve and fix that, uh, you get this incredible virtuous cycle. Every person who joins makes it easier for the next person who joins. You know, they, they recognize they need to be the flag bearer. They recognize they need to onboard people. Uh, it's been really quite exciting to watch that. Like a, a practical example, a really, a really good one. Um, we were planning a company event this past weekend, and due to due to scheduling issues, due to timing constraints, there were very few options, and uh, and we ended up running our our golf learning tournament. Um, it's very much included lessons for beginners, very early stage on the weekend, and one of our employees, you know, let me know uh, that 
just due to the timing of the oversight, you know, it was, it was falling over, over top of Ramadan. And so a number of our employees um, who, real, who were observing Ramadan may not be able to participate, uh, you know, due to the fasting. And, you know, I, I apologize. We updated our processes to make sure that we double-checked, uh, you know, all non-observed holidays, so, you know, holidays and more official company events, um, to make sure that we didn't inadvertently do that. And it was a great example to share in our office because not only did that employee really quickly, very respectfully, really honestly just share that feedback with me, but we were able to make a change. Uh, and that was feedback right to the leader of the office. And you need to share those examples so that people know that, even though we say, hey, take risks, take challenges, if you need to share something that maybe isn't positive, that's still okay too. Uh, and you know, by sharing those examples, I think we, we do a great job of giving people the opportunity to grow, letting them know they have permission to succeed and permission to fail, uh, and then you know, just helping everybody wrap up after. Well, when, you, when everyone else is saying, you know, up at top is saying, hey, you know what, guys, I think we might have screwed up here, we made an error, this is how we're going to fix it, then that, that leaves the door open for everybody else maybe with something smaller or not as big to, to do the same thing, which is really a great thing. That's one of the, thing, the major tenets that I believe that make a great culture and that great, great cultures deal with mistakes uh, and they don't hide behind them and they don't, you know, avoid them and, you know, pretend they didn't happen because um, that just seems like a, it turns into a cancer of the organization. Well, we're almost out of time here and I want to make sure I asked you one more quick question and that is, is there a book that you're reading right now that you might share with the audience? Oh, uh, right now I've got two books that I'm reading through. Uh, I mean, one's you know, a little bit more mundane, Learning Tagalog. Uh, I've got a team in Manila, uh, so you know, brushing up on some of my language skills because I think that's critical. Uh, but I think what's um, you know, perhaps a little less utilitarian is I'm reading Content by Cory Doctorow, a fantastic book about uh, you know, essays on you know, content storage, um, how he characterizes the you know, post-scarcity economics. Um, really, really good read and easy because it's you know, smaller, uh, bite-sized pieces, so... Yeah. I would recommend that. Well, we'll remember, we'll uh, remind everyone listening, we put these up on our blog, and so if you didn't get a chance to write those books down, we'll have them there written there for you. Uh, if anyone's interested in learning more about what uh, Tribe HR or NetSuite is doing, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, so they can learn more about NetSuite or Tribe HR at netsuite.com, um, or they can always do a shout and I'm happy to answer any questions. If uh, you catch me on Twitter at uh, Joseph Fung. Fantastic. Well, Joseph, thank you so much for joining us today. We'd love to have you come back at some point and give us an update on all the great things you're doing over there. Likewise, Chris. Thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was. Absolutely. So up next, we'll have Rosalind Cohen-Baruch after this quick commercial break. Welcome back to the Talent Talk radio show. Before we get to our uh, next guest, just a reminder that uh, you can find us now on iHeart. Uh, go open up the iHeart app or go to their website. We're now syndicated there. Of course, you can always get us where you always did before, through your podcast app on any Apple device. Uh, type in Talent Talk. Or if none of those things work, you can also go to talenttalkradio.com or octalkradio.net. All kinds of great places where you can find us. We really appreciate all those who are tuning in. Don't forget to tweet us your questions, your comments, your suggestions, uh, and use that hashtag Talent Talk. We really appreciate it. But let's go ahead and get to my second guest, uh, Rosalind uh, Cohen Baruch. Hopefully, again, I'm saying that correctly. VP and Director of Human Capital at Hall Capital Partners LLC. So, uh, Rosalind, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. And you did say my name correctly. Thank you. All right. That is a that is probably a first. I usually screw up someone's name once per show. So <laughs> somehow I've made it through this show without doing that. Of course, I have another 
few opportunities, but um, great. So tell us a little bit about yourself and your current role at uh, Hall Capital Partners. I'm currently the Vice President of Human Capital at Hall Capital Partners, and we're an asset management company based in San Francisco with offices in New York. My responsibilities are pretty far-reaching, so responsible for all the people and the processes, both uh, tactical and strategic, for, um, for our organization. Well, great. I know you've been with Hall Partners uh, for just over two years. How has that transition into this new role maybe, you know, kind of been going over the last two years? And maybe also, you know, have you been able to achieve some of the strategic goals that you set out to achieve when you first started? Sure. I think the first year at any uh, in any job is really about learning the organization and understanding it. So I felt like my first year was understanding the culture of Hall Capital, um, understanding what the objectives uh, strategically were for the organization and how I then could take best practices and what I knew and what experience I brought to apply that to the organization. Mm-hmm. And so now entering my third year here, really it's it's about understanding the business at a deeper level, understanding the people, being able to encapsulate the culture of the organization in the context of all these business objectives and the things that we need to do and and support the business and move it forward by getting the right people to do the right jobs at the right time. So it's been been a really great experience, and I feel like we've been able to to get some really good things done uh, and looking forward to more, more of that to come. With all that going on, you also do some consulting on your. I have another consulting firm that you you operate in. So, can you talk a little bit about that work and what you do for small businesses in the that area of human capital management? Sure, I actually do very very little with that right now. But uh, when that was picking up more of my time before coming to Hall, it it was working with companies, really small companies. Uh, somewhere between 5 and 15, maybe 20 people in the area of best practices, how do you take some of the legal obligations that California and the city of San Francisco are known for, known for and apply them to real-life practical ways of doing business, um, and, and a lot of training. So it was mostly in those areas, but really now I, I don't have time to do that with, uh, with a family and a full-time job. Yeah. Well, you know, a lot of the talk in 2015 has been around this kind of real, you know, good buzzword of employee engagement and, and really the importance that it plays within companies, something I've been fortunate enough to be asked to talk a lot about. And so I'm always kind of really fascinated on what my guests think uh, about what makes good employee engagement or, you know, more specifically, how key do you think it is uh, to the overall success of a business? So I think... My experience is such that it's critically important. You know, I could banter around stats that talk about this in hard dollars. I think Gallup put something out there yeah. between 450 and $550 billion in lost productivity through absenteeism or workplace accidents or a variety of other things. Um, but I think we spend a little too much time uh, focusing the area of engagement uh, as though there is a one-size-fits-all model, right, that what... Zappos does or what Hall Capital does will be uh, able to be done at every organization. And, and, and I believe that if employers want to understand engagement and they want to understand what drives their employees, they've got to look at three things. So they've got to understand and codify what the values are of the company. What is it that the organization believes in and stands behind above and beyond what they do, right? Those things can be very different. They should find out from the employees, why are they there? Why do they stay? 
what keeps them keeps them in the seats more than just what we know to be compensation and things like that. What is that? And do that in a very quick way. Uh, do it in a way that it that gives managers the ability to get the information in uh, in a very practical and pragmatic way. It does not have to be a survey monkey. Um, and then once you get that information back, be transparent about it, and then figure out the hills you're going to die on. So if you get employee engagement or get information about employee engagement that lists 15 things that the organization believes should change or reasons why people should be in the, why people are in their seats. Pick the two or three things that you think would be most impactful and, and make that a mission. Uh, that, to me, really is about employee engagement. Is how do you keep people engaged in the work that they do, but you have to know the business and you have to understand the people. Yeah, and I think that's a really important uh, lesson, too, for a lot of companies. I think they look at employee engagement as what can we do for the employee, but it's just as important for the employee to understand what they can do for the company because they're just they're just as eager to want to make a difference and to to see the company achieve a goal or you know and so it's it's not just about you know by having free lunch or sleep pods or what you know whatever there's these things that are benefits or nice things to have that might make a, an employee happy at a particular moment but it's like I don't know if you agree it's kind of that give and take and that push and pull between how how can the company help the employee and how can the employee help the company where I really see the best engagement sort of occurring, you know, within companies. I, I 100% agree. You have to be able to explain the symbiotic relationship of those things and that employees have a responsibility as well as employers having a responsibility. And once those things, I think one of the key factors there is transparency so that everybody really understands what the key factors are. They're able to articulate them in a way that's simple and direct, not because people are simple, but because usually that's the best way of explaining these kinds of things. Right. So right. I 100% agree. So being successful and managing a company's human capital is an important role not only for HR execs, but for any exec that's at a higher level management that's engaged really in driving those strategic plans for the organization. So I'm wondering where do you feel that HR fits in in that equation for creating a successful human capital management plan? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, first, I, I don't think it's a one place. I think that HR needs to move in and out of this equation depending upon the needs of the organization and the experience of the HR person or the human capital person. Uh, but there's a couple of factors, I think, that create... Uh, that help create and execute that kind of plan that is that is a valuable thing. First, the human capital person needs to understand the business and be a credible partner to the to the department and the senior leadership. I think there are some times where because we have a title or because we have experience, we think that there is a an entitlement factor uh, in being credible or being uh, seen as strategic, and, and I don't agree with that. I, you have to understand what your organization does more than just sell widgets, right? You mm -hmm. have to have a deeper dive there. Um, and then this needs to be an ongoing conversation, right? So it's what, is the department did, what does the department need to do to drive the business? What's currently in place, whether it's people, skills, processes, infrastructure, whatever the case may be, what's missing and what needs to be distributed with the gaps that you have there, and then work with the department in order to fulfill those kinds of things. Finally, really as part of this equation, it's we get so much regulation in the human capital field. There's so many things that we're told we have to do, but 
this goes back to understanding the business, is that when you're able to understand what the organization does, you're able to take these regulations and legal guidelines and, and laws and apply them in a practical way, explaining the risk, explaining why we can and can't do certain things, and then helping the organization judge what the right direction is for them. So by doing all of these things, you really do help to be more engaged in the process, more being able to drive the strategic plan and being the true partnership that I think most people want to have with their, their executive team. Right. Well, you said something, I think, twice there about understanding what the business really does. And to me, that kind of translates into that word of, you know, what is the company's culture? which is that good mm-hmm. combination of why you do what you do and what is it that you do and who is it that's doing it. Um, so do you have any sort of keys or things that you think kind of really goes into a successful company culture, even if they ultimately are different from company to company, but you know, there's some kind of like similarities or pillars in there that you see that are kind of must-haves? I do. If first, you have to have a senior leadership that uh, runs the organization and runs the business with integrity and transparency, right? So if you're thinking about culture, if you have that, you have a foundation. If yeah. you don't trust the senior leadership, then you're, in, you're, you're set back before you ever get a chance to yeah. start. But transparency is there, huge. Huge. <laughs> huge. A- absolutely. Um, and we could probably have a, another 20-minute conversation on the concept of transparency. <laughs> well, absolutely. <laughs> So what you want to do then, one of the other keys, I think, for a successful company culture is codification of the culture that is a combination of what the senior leadership wants it to be and what the employees believe it to be. So I may think that we have a Y kind of culture, but my exec team really wants it to be an X kind of culture. So let's figure out what those things are and, and write them down, literally, so we're able to look at it and explore it. Once we then get to an agreement of what that looks like, it's... How do you tie different initiatives, different um, organizational directives to support the culture? One of the things that I love about working at Hall Capital is our, our CEO, Katie Hall, has, a, has an expression. It's really sort of her candidates use good judgment. So ways in which we've looked in the human capital department to tie that back is most people will do things or most organizations will do things like they do a wellness initiative that is about paying for a gym membership. And so what we try to do is take that and twist it a little bit. So as opposed to telling people they have to go to a specific gym, we give every employee X amount of dollars that they use for a wellness initiative that has some guidelines and frameworks to it. But it's the employee making the decision about what they think is best for them as opposed to an organization mandating that. So that, that's sort of how we try and sort of codify the culture and then tie different initiatives back to that. You need to also understand what the originality is of the organization. Not everybody is, is Apple, right? What, what are the things about your organization that are really original and that are really uh, key factors to supporting that culture? Mm-hmm. And then empower your leaders and, and, and your managers to, to do the right things at the right times to help, uh, to help support it. And a lot of that being successful is then also to make sure that people feel uh, empowered and have permission and are being developed from a leadership standpoint um, because mm-hmm. you, you need to have that kind of, I, I think this is one of the important parts of a culture is that always be learning, always be improving kind of this, this positive idea that I, I can achieve 
I can be with that other person is I can be sitting at their desk and have that office or have that job one day because I can grow and work within the company and develop and 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 those around me are supporting that so assuming you agree with that statement you know are there things that you see being really you know helpful or particularly positive in in really developing leaders within any organization no and I do agree with that completely um so you got to have a strategic plan, right? What is the organization going to look like in three, five, ten years out? So it's, you need to understand that um, and be a part of that discussion. And then how does that affect uh, key departments? And, and revenue and non, non-revenue generating, generating departments, it doesn't matter which, but if you're going to grow by X percentage over time, how is that going to affect everyone from IT to the folks that are going to generate the revenue to the human capital group? Then... Uh, Based upon that, what skills do you need to have internally in order to be able to meet that plan, right? And then corollary to that is, do you, is it a buy, borrow, or build scenario? If it's a build, then what are you doing within the organization in order to help support that type of building initiative on the time frame that the organization needs it to grow by, uh, and then work with the departments to execute? Yeah, and how often do you see those strategic plans that you talked about? You know, what is the company going to look like in three years? How often do you feel like those are end up being fairly accurate, or that you did a, you know, are they are you close to most of the time? Do you think, or is it it was a well intended plan, but it really ended up somewhere very different? I think there's a lot of factors that that can affect it, whether it's industry specific, right? Financial services has had a bit of a rough road for the past couple of years. Mm-hmm. So there are some things that have shifted based upon uh, external factors. Uh, it depends a little bit on management and sort of the needs of management or the needs of the, the particular department. However, overall, I think when you have the organizational leaders that are transparent, you have the organizational leaders that are really committed to, to what the, the, the business model is, for the most part, those those are pretty accurate because they're looking at the best interests of the of the department or the organization, and they're able to execute accordingly. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's uh, that's right on. Well, are there any other things that you do you might share with us about just encouraging employees in general, you know, in their own personal growth, even if they're not necessarily going to become leaders within the organization? But you know, are there things that you see being you know fairly um, effective in helping? You know, people just working on, on, on improving themselves from a day-to-day basis? Yeah. We talked a little bit about this a couple minutes ago, but it's really the symbiotic relationship and that employees should take ownership over their own professional development. It is absolutely the, the employer needs to provide, I would say, outlets and needs to provide initiatives that support it. But the reality is, they're worried about running the business. They want you to succeed, but you have to step up and say, here's what I need. Here's what's going to help me do my job better. Or in, a, in an organization like Hall, we actually encourage these conversations from early on and say, in three years, what do you want to be doing? Great. How do we help you get there? What do you need both to do your job now and do your job going forward? So from our employees' perspective, they're able to have those conversations pretty transparently. 
but I would suggest this this idea that taking ownership over your over your career, taking ownership over your own professional development, and then empowering managers to have those conversations. That you know, it's not this clandestine kind of thing where you're going to slink out the door and you know give notice and you know run out to the the next door. Uh, important factors, I think, in, in professional development for for folks within an organization. Well, I think that's a great uh, suggestion. Just. If, if 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 you do nothing else, if you at least have a conversation at the beginning of of the life cycle of an employee and ask them where do they want to be and what do they think they need to be successful to get there, that's probably more than what most companies do. Um, just from getting an employee to have that think about it, envision what that might be, so that then they can take ownership of it and 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 do it. Because it's one thing to to say, yeah, we want you to do it, we want you to be. You know, kind of uh, be kind of a, a self-starter and to make it happen on your own. But you know, there is some really great importance in creating that vision and making sure that they have a clear understanding of what they need to do, where they need to go, and how that's going to happen. Because um, I think a lot of companies kind of fail at that. They think they're going to do it later, and then it never ends up happening. And then next thing you know, someone's sort of hanging out me- in a very mediocre way, mediocre way. You know, doing a job that you know is sort of okay, but not really what they could be doing or as well as they could be doing it and just a one conversation or a little bit of planning can have such a huge impact and it's an easy thing that people can go back to their offices right now and start doing right away is just start having that conversation absolutely. with people yeah absolutely it doesn't take a giant strategic plan or 15 people to approve it just go back and start having conversations with people <laughs> and, that's exactly right <laughs> um and it gives you back control in your own life right like plenty of people sit behind a desk where they're not happy doing their job and being able to have the control and say here's where i want to be and here's what i want to be doing and organization or department or manager how can you help me get there and here's how it's going to make me a better person and we tie this back to employee engagement if i'm having a conversation with someone who works for me to say where do you want to be in five years great let's figure out how to get you there you're going to you're going to know i have your best interest the organization has your best interest at heart and you're going to be more loyal for the time that you're there gone are the days where you you know people are staying in companies for 25 and 30 years right. so how do we have a good working relationship how do we have a relationship where you feel good walking in the office every day and we're getting the best productivity out of you so that when you leave here a you're a great reference for us and a good alumni, and B, you have a great experience and you're able to move to that next to that next step in your career, whatever that might be. Absolutely. Well, you've given us such great uh, pearls of wisdom today. I'm going to guess that you at least read some of the some of the big books that are out there from time to time, if not at being an avid reader. Uh, is there a particular book you're reading right now or one that you might suggest our audience check out if they're kind of interested in learning more about the things we were talking about today? Yeah, I actually, I bounce between books. I have a hard time sort of focusing on one. I get bored. I need to move. So um, the book that I, that I, it's on my nightstand, as they say, is the, the Leadership Playbook, uh, Creating a Coaching Culture to Win, to Winning Business Teams. Uh, that's the one that's on my desk for work-related. Um, I also do some pleasure reading, and, and the, I like John Krakauer. So his latest book on, uh, called Missoula is, is sort of also on my desk. Well, uh, those are some great ones that uh, I know our audience may want to check out. And again, don't forget when we do a blog recap of this, and you can find that on peopleg2.com, we will list those books and all the information that uh, both the guests uh, listed. But my final question to you is uh, how can people get a hold of you or learn more about Hall Capital if they're interested in doing that? Absolutely. Um, The Hall Capital website is very easy. It's hallcapital.com, and I can be reached at rcbaruch at hallcapital.com. 
Well, fantastic. Rosalind, it's been a real pleasure having you on the show, and I uh, really appreciate all the things that you brought up today and uh, and the wisdom you gave us uh, and all, of, all those that are listening. Uh, so I really appreciate you being here. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. So next week, I actually get to go on vacation finally, so we will have a best of uh, show being uh, played, but you can always go and listen to whatever best of you want to yourself uh, by checking out the, those other apps that we talked about, iHeart and podcast apps. On August 4th, we will return live. Uh, be sure to tune in at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time to hear Shrikant Shalapa, uh, co-founder of Njigali, uh, excuse me, and Elid uh, Levinson, a senior organizational effectiveness consultant. And I have murdered those names, <laughs> and I have murdered those companies' names, and I apologize in advance. We'll have better phonetic spellings here when I come back. So I did do it. I at least... It seems to be good luck if I do it at least once per show. But until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio Show brought to you by People G2.